crew here, myself, Ty Tamblin, Sean Mathers, and um, Brendan, Brendan Gillen, and um, Danny, and I can never pronounce your uh, last name. <laughs> I knew you were going to leave me for wrong for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> what up, everybody? <laughs> so, but tonight we've got um, something a bit special underway. Um, we've got someone here to have a chat with us all and tell them a little bit about themselves and what they do in, in, in the realm of, of drones and the, and the industry itself. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Derek Febrave, who's the CEO of, and co-founder of, of Transpect, um, which is a software solution that digitizes assets with unparalleled detail, empowering asset managers to make confident decisions, limit risk and create maximum value for their portfolios. After a career flying high as a Qantas airline pilot, Derek was inspired by the future of aviation, having co-founded uh, Hoverscape in 2013, one of Australia's first commercial drone businesses, and went on to specialise in asset inspections. In 2018, driven by client demand, Derek co-founded Trendspec, an industry-first solution that cannot be unseen. So without further ado, um, would you like to introduce yourself, Derek, and have a little bit of a, a chat about where, how you got into the industry and your journey. Yeah, thanks, Ty. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet everyone. Hey, um, hey Derek. Yeah, I guess, as as Ty said, um, we came from the three co-founders and the three of us have known each other for over 20 years. We all started flying together, actually, uh, bush pilots up in Darwin <laughs> when we first met. And we lived, up, lived together, worked together. Uh, and then back in 2013, we started our first venture, which was Hoverscape. And the intent was always to like revolutionize asset inspection by using technology. But really back when we started, there was no DJI. Everything was built on a dining room table. Actually, I think DJI had the auto first autopilot that we had, which I think was a Wukong from memory. <laughs> um, yeah. um, that's when we first started. And yeah, over that time, you know, we learned a lot about asset inspection and, you know, we liked it because it's very black and white. It's very regimented. There's a procedure, you follow it and you get an outcome. Um, but over the time, especially working with our clients, well, it was one thing to capture all of this data. The next part of it is what do I do with it all? And, you know, we still have clients that still have bags of SD cards and USB sticks. And it was to then taking it to the next phase and just making it really simple and easy to use, especially for asset inspection. Because when we started Transpec, really what was on the market was more tailored around like mapping and survey. Um, not around actually doing a condition assessment on a structure. Uh, so when there was nothing really in the market and literally we tried and searched everywhere, um, it, we were left in a position whether we wait for somebody to come along and do it eventually or go ahead and build it ourselves. So 2018 is when we started building Trendspec and then we brought that in as it being its own company uh, so everyone can make use of it globally. And now I think we have users across 34 countries um, and all sorts of assets from, you know, your property to telecommunications, 
Um, the last interesting one we saw was a roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> all sorts. Any, anything built structure is, is pretty much where we sit. And where we tried to really differentiate ourselves was A, being the most detailed, so you could actually do a condition assessment from the model. Um, and B, was making it so intuitive to use that before you get a chance to tell, teach someone how to use it, they've already been in there and they've already done all their markups and everything like that. Because hmm. uh, there's a lot of our industry, especially around the less tech savvy, let's say, <laughs> um, especially in that asset management industry, it's very old school. So, but from what we've seen, we're probably in the biggest technology shift in a generation. Uh, so a lot of these people are still coming from, some are literally coming from pen and paper. That's a lot of paper there. <laughs> oh. And it's just brought with errors and um, yeah, it's been interesting to see. Actually, one we saw half of the report, literally half of it was incorrectly marked up because they're writing notes, like they're hanging off the side of a building or something with <laughs> jotting notes as they go down. And when they get down, they mark it up against a key. And so when we did the first model for this particular client, um, we just used the report to go, really oh, mark it up so, so they can see what it's like as an interactive 3D report. And we're looking through this and nothing correlated. We're like, this doesn't even exist. But then you'd find it like, two or three windows across and a few walls up and yeah, it was just a mess. <laughs> Do you think that they're, they're slowly coming around though in, in those industries and like essentially the, the dinosaurs as we like to call them that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of attitude. Do you, do you think that they are slowly starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel of what we're trying to essentially educate everyone about? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I know like COVID over the last year and a half has been hard for a lot, um, especially like a lot of our clients are, you know, enterprise focused. So, you know, people with large portfolios. So while it slowed down for, you know, the first half of last year, it really forced everyone indoors literally, but then they all self-educated. They all had to think of, okay, what's a new way we can do this? How can we leverage technology and how can we innovate? So while it might have been a step back, everything now is two, three, four steps forward. Mm. Awesome. Um, which is good to see. And, and a lot of these big organisations actually forming complete departments purely based around innovation. Um, right. I definitely think it's moving forward quickly. What was the, um, how did you start up Hoverscape? Like what was, obviously Ty talked about um, you being a Qantas pilot, how did you, can we talk a little bit um, about that as well? Like what was the, what made you transition into, into drones? It's actually a funny one. So I don't know if you remember back, oh, we started Hover Scream in 2013. So it must've been 2012, Qantas went through a really bad patch. I think they were losing billions and um, there was talk of like making a good few hundred pilots redundant and back then we were quite junior in terms of seniority so we we're like oh my god what, what will we do because three of us are airline pilots we'd always had jobs and 
back then, like drone friendly knew, and I had a photography background as well. Um, so the, uh, okay. the photography plus the drones, it made sense. And back then, you know, there wasn't, from a CASA perspective, there wasn't that focus on drone. Well, they didn't know how to treat drones, so they just <laughs> treated it like it was a jumbo jet. They still do. That's so true. I think it's more not that much different. Yeah, Elon Musk would struggle to get a drone. But back then, it was quite. In, uh, it was heavily aviation based, and I think you even, from memory, you even needed like a IREX to fly a drone. You needed. Pilots, I knew you needed a pilot's license, but to fly beyond line sight, you needed IREX and all of these really aviation things that didn't make sense for a, a drone operator. So I know it's good to see them start to more tailor and how they integrate drones. That's more common sense than, you know, the mm. way you fly a jet or even a helicopter or anything like that. Um, so combining our knowledge of CASA and aviation and that aspect, that's kind of where we led into starting Hoverscape back then. And, and it was our first business. And, you know, we had, we spent a fair while finding our feet because um, naturally there wasn't, there was hardly any drone operators around then. Um, so, you know, you took work where you got work, which kind of meant you were trying to be all things to all people whether it's you know an inspection whether it was a tv commercial whether it was a real estate shoot like you did it all and um, and you were still flying with Qantas at the time or you, you kind of just no i was we're still flying right. uh, so we had the three founders uh plus we had drone pilots that joined us as well so there was a team of us and i think that's probably been you know, looking back, it's probably been a good thing in terms of how we've run our business um, because we've had to, because we're still flying, we had to bring in people to trust and give them, empower them to actually make decisions. And mm. so we've and we've kind of led that even through to today. Like even in Transpect, everyone we bring in expect to be a part of the team, to be, you know, take that initiative to, you know, empower them so they can make decisions and move forward without having to ask all the time. Um, so, yeah, I only actually finished. I, only, I, I was still flying part-time all the way up to January before coronavirus. Right. So, so I actually took... That's 2020, yeah? 2020, yeah. So I feel like um, so Good time to get out. Well, I had to... <laughs> It was hard to get out because we were really busy and I I was only doing like part-time back then, but to actually take, you know, leave for years because I took a few years leave, um, it was really hard. And then ironically, if it was two months later, they were giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of how we transitioned from aviation into hoverscape. Very cool. You kind of brushed over your photography background. Uh, <laughs> you, you went photography, 
and then into a Qantas pilot. What what happened there is like, well, is it a creative business and uh, this this stuff's not going to work or <laughs> no, it creative? Um, it was more a hobby because most of my flying career, like I did ten years on a jumbo, so it was a lot of international flying. So there's a lot of time away, and then when you got back, there's big chunks on the ground. So I might do a two-week trip overseas and then come back and have two weeks off. So mm -hmm. I really got into photography in my time off. I needed a hobby, something to do. Otherwise, two weeks would go by and then someone asked, oh, what did you do yesterday, Derek? I'm like, I can't even remember what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I've done for the last two weeks because it just fly by. So I got into photography way back then and like uh we live in Plough Valley so Sydney's eastern beaches so it's plenty of things to photograph and I kind of just learned that craft over time and it was very much artistic landscape type work a lot of filtering like um my favorite was always those you know those 10 stop blackout filters <laughs> that was like my favorite and then i got into die i was really loved diving and then so that led in i love underwater photography so i've got hmm. oh, with all the gear and no idea big arms and strobes and everything like that um, all right so land sea and air practically <laughs> yeah well i would have loved to have got more into the air but you know when Back in the day when I could actually fly a drone, they were, you know, octocopters and 20 kilos. They're a lot smaller these days. They fly themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't let go of the jumbo. You just wanted to build big drones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, that was my photography part. Um, I actually used to sell some a bit, and there's a random random there's a new pizza shop that opened up the road and i went in to pick it up the other day and one of my big photos is blown up on the awesome. no way that's yeah. so cool that's awesome that's awesome did you tell them that's your that's awesome. it's what you shot uh, i should have <laughs> just taking a selfie straight yeah. away. <laughs> next time just go in with a pen and then i'm famous oh dear so, so Derek, was that um, what was like your first job? So you you'd had like a creative. What was like, you know, you finished school or whatever. What was your first full time job from there? Did you go straight into aviation or? Yeah, well, my first job job was classic fifteen year old McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> three bucks an hour. Yeah, I feel like I'm. Yeah, one I remember it was five dollars and five dollars and five cents. What? I remember that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Actually, I was an aviation nerd back then, so that was my first job at the ANSET terminal, McDonald's. <laughs> and that's where it all began. <laughs> uh, yeah, finished school, went straight into flying school at Bankstown, did, did my commercial licence, um, and then moved to Broome. Lived in Broome for two years, flying half that's a massive move half mm. travel work and half scenic work like scenic flights but mm -hmm. more of those big those scenic flights up there were 
you know, 7 a.m. till dusk. Um, wow. So full days and five five hours in the plane, anywhere, to, you know, through out to Fitzroy Crossing and the gorges and then up around the horizontal waterfalls. Mm. They'd stop for lunch, you'd stop for afternoon tea. Um, yeah, did that for years. And then the kind of career path in aviation was build up your hours. So most, you know, some will go Air Force type way, some will be flight instructors, some will go bush pilot. Um, and that's the way I went to live there. And then up to Darwin for a few years, flying there. And then the next progression was I went to Qantas Link. So that's the originals flying the Dash 8s, mostly around New South Wales and Lord Howe Island, and then from Qantas Link into Qantas Mainline. Okay. That was, that were all my jobs. So I've only had flying jobs and then the rest has been business life. <laughs> yeah. So from Broome to kind of what, what was the time frame? Um, like what year was that through to obviously oh. you stopped around 2012, right? So Yeah, so finished school in 2000, Olympic year. Uh, 2001 and two did training, flight training in Bankstown. So 2003 and four in Broome, five and six in Darwin, seven in Qantas Link, and I got into Qantas in 2008. That's a really good memory. <laughs> yeah. Right. And a lot of flight hours. Yeah. Oh, I'm so far behind in my logbook, I wouldn't know how. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that one out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that, but the funny thing is like the international flying, because you log, at Sydney, LA, you log, 13 and a half hours, but half of it you spend in the bunker sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> More eating, Danny. I'll cut it. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, you can edit. You don't have to. Secret life of a pilot. <laughs> life of a pilot. For long haul, we'd have four in the cockpit for takeoff and landing, and then two in flight. So in the jumbo, there's a, there's a, um, bedroom bunk in the cockpit and then there's another one for us in the right at the back of the hump hmm. so, yeah we normally take so they'll two stay up and two sleep and that was my party trick i didn't, didn't matter when if i go to that bunk i put my head down i'd be out <laughs> wow <laughs> really annoying screeching buzzer sound when they want to wake you up to come back <laughs> So that sound will haunt my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is it as bad as economy class? You actually get a horizontal bed for you guys. Yeah, it's a it's a horizontal bed. Right. Yeah, I could always sleep pretty well. Um, it's not. It really is. <laughs> yeah, but it's really it's right in the. See, if when you come up the stairs on the jumbo, just on the right, it's like pretty narrow and pretty low. Uh, mm -hmm it's pitch black in there and yeah it makes it easy to sleep sleep any time of the day yeah so you're, you're a commercial pilot and 
what made you start a a drone company? Like what was the someone was it a 3 a.m. Hey, let's go start this business. And no, I presume you didn't know a whole lot about it at the time. And no. you kind of had to find your way through it. So. I had to find a way through it. Um it was it was actually I think I forgot to say. Yeah, when Qantas went through that really bad patch, yes, so we were looking at well, our jobs were kind of at risk back then. So we thought, oh, we'll need a backup plan. And right. a friend of ours suggested, like, why don't you get into these drones? Have you seen these things? And not really. I've never flown a drone. I'm not a remote control background. So thought we'd give it a go. We bought this little toy-like thing and crashed it around the house everywhere and <laughs> had to figure out <laughs> why towards yourself. Slightly, slightly <laughs> bigger than that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um because the, even back then the drones were and I, I you guys probably can tell me i remember back doing the casa flight testing and you had to do manual flight which was terrifying <laughs> i remember you had to fly a straight line and there was cones and you had to fly around it all with manual flight and switch. oh the atti the atti mode atti mode yeah, uh, yeah. Beyond, it goes beyond atti mode it's like acro mode oh yeah <laughs> it's full acro mode yeah, yeah. yeah. No so stay in position <laughs> yeah so I remember because atti mode the throttle was at like fifty percent and that would be hover yeah full manual fifty percent is just fifty percent power so Sounds like it was a lot harder to get your licenses back back in the day. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't watch that. I remember I think we went down to Queenby and they had a Casa delegate there that you'd do your flight testing. Nice. Um, so that's was that was kind of once we got that, it's when we thought we'd make a a proper business out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it would just it just kept going and. It's been it's been good to have. Um, personally, I haven't I don't have a lot to do with Hoverscape day to day now. Um, Transpect sucks all of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I think the next question: well, no, you, uh, do, do you have any good pilots working on Hoverscape these days? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, hoping you don't say none. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still looking. I'm sure. Got to throw him under the bus at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you touched on it a little bit before, Derek, but um, would you go a little bit more into your motivation behind going from Hoverscape into Transpec and, and, and making that what it is today? Yeah, well, originally we did it for, you know, as I said, we, we tried everything back then and um, we were big fans of like Propeller Aero. They were just starting then. Um, you know, and we did a lot of work with them very early on. I think it was only Rory and Francis back then. Um, but again, very land survey based. Uh, and there was nothing really else that was built for, and, and the big parts, the vertical parts, you know, in, in 3D structure. Mm. Um, and we needed tools that, that our clients, they'd be great if, do this, this, and this. So we originally built it under Hoverscape. That's when it first started. And it was just intent just to use for the clients. But 
it was a problem I know we faced from the drone services side um, and the clients we had. So, you know, we thought, well, if we wouldn't be the only ones facing the same challenge. And that's when we decided to actually make the clean break and start hmm. Transpec and open it up to, to everybody to be able to use. Um, but in terms of software, like, I don't know why we've done all this, but we haven't come from an RC background, but started a drone company. <laughs> Most of us, the three of us founders struggle to use a computer, yet we're <laughs> a software company. <laughs> uh, but we did it purely because it needed to be built. This is what, you know, people managing these big asset portfolios, that's what they wanted. Um, and it, we, you know, as I said, it was either wait for somebody to do it if they did it or go ahead and build it ourselves. And that was kind of the motivation to do it. And then I guess to continue with it, it's just it kept building and building in terms of client base and the types of assets we can deliver. Um, but one thing we've kind of, it stays uniform regardless if it's, you know, telco property oil and gas like any big they all use it in pretty much the same way but instead of one being an asset manager in property they're an integrity manager in oil and gas so they're the same mm. and they have the same use case they just have different job titles um, so i think that was primarily yeah the the main reason we started it was we believed in it um and it's just kept going from strength to strength and we've only been able to do that you know, as i said we're, we're not software background either <laughs> just, we've been good that we've been able to build a really good strong team around us um and i think in business it's been good for us not to be experts in any of that and bring in people who really can take. So we've got a really good lead developer who not only built a team around him, but, you know, mentors them. Um, same with our sales, like all our teams have had strong leaders who put quality teams around them and empower them to do that. That's probably been one of our biggest successes. How did you come up with your name? Uh, <laughs> so first, I think, I can't remember how many names we went through. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things we knew we wanted to, when we actually made this decision to break up and back as a company, we had to have a .com, so that limited a lot of options. Yeah. Uh, and we settled on Trendspec because... The spec is the inspection part, and the trend is because what we what we were doing from our hoverscape days was we'd take one three D model and we'd recapture it later and layer the third the the new one on top of the old one to start building out that trend monitoring. So yep. trend inspections was kind of both together. Came from, yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. That's cool. It's a cool name. It's a good story too. Yeah. It's always interesting when you sort of figure out how people have thought their way through. And like you said, I'm sure you've went through thousands or hundreds of different types of names. And it's, it's, I think everyone focuses on the name and then it just becomes something. And yeah, it's, it's, it's always good. What do you think the silliest name out of what you, in your coming up (laughs) with names, what was probably the silliest one you guys came up with, you reckon? Because I always hear some doozies when people <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly, but I remember that it was built around the word necessity. Okay. And it was just, if you had a list, you'd have no chance of saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> if you had a list. So part of the um, <laughs> our audience, Derek, that we we're trying to actually the reason we created this podcast was to help people entering the drone industry. Yeah. Um, so given we're in you know the back end of 2021, you've obviously what eight some years experience now of making lots of mistakes. And yeah. what would you say to someone looking to start out? What what sort of path would would you kind of recommend they consider? Now, this is, I'm always funny about this question because when somebody who has gone through everything can look back and in hindsight can give you all the advice in the world, I always feel like, yeah, it's easy for you to say you've been through all this and now you do <laughs> this, you've got these successes. Um, but it's hard when, unless you make mistakes yourself and find your own feet. Um, but if I was going to say anything, and this is one thing we're still trying to learn to do. So, you know, we look after a lot of asset classes and is always find the niche and just own it. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, when you, and I know, it's difficult when you're starting out and there's, you know, you're starting a company and work can come from all these different places and you need the cash flow, you need to win the job. And then, you know, like our beginning in Hoverscape days when you're just trying to be everything, mm-hmm. but you'll be good at nothing. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what we talk about. I mean, you've got obviously agriculture, you've got mapping, you've got surveying, um, uh, inspections and then you got your video your photos and you know as you said most operators tend to do all of those things um especially in the early days yeah um obviously you guys are now supporting pretty pretty much that market which is smart um and i i think it's good to kind of like you said it's, you got to find the niche yeah. but how does someone new i, I think you've you've made enough choices and decisions to kind of say, well, this is where I think the market's headed. And we'd love to hear where you think we're going to be in three to five years, right? Especially Australia as a nation. Yeah. I think, I think it'll go two ways. I don't think, I don't think there'll be like from what we've seen a lot of enterprise and you would have seen it. a lot of enterprises starting drone programs themselves. So they're taking away a lot of work that would have traditionally gone to 
a drone services company. I don't know how far that will go because I think a lot of them go in to build it and then realize, hang on, we're an engineering company, we're not a drone company. Let's go back to our core business and bring in somebody to do that. Um, so while I think there will be still a really big need for drone service providers, I think it depends whether a company wants to become a national company um in terms of australia or what i see and i think this is really good because you know we work a lot with partners so from transpec from our point of view we do a lot of enterprise work where we're leveraging partners for a end-to-end -end solution so whether it's from data capture through to processing through to the engineering reporting or property survey reporting um and I think using partnerships and alliances is good from a few aspects. So one, you build that support network, like as an alliance and as a group, you can act as one and cover big areas. And But you also have that support network in terms of a business because everyone might be an individual business, but they're getting the help from everybody else in that type of partnership and alliance. Um, but yeah, I think still think that there needs to be good national coverage. Uh, and I still think ultimately it will be drone services led. Um, because I was saying before, you still need that niche and a big multinational won't necessarily get that niche. Hmm. Uh, some will, no doubt some will, but a lot yep. will go and realize that's not my core business bring in somebody who can do that professionally. Um, and it depends, I guess, then where you want to sit within that niche. So that was a bit of a ramble, but. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really good. Really good, yeah. It actually is really good, yeah. <laughs> Ty's learning a lot. He's taking notes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's, you're not going to hire a plumber to do, be an electrician. It's you know, if, if you want the work done properly, either, you know, you might have to dedicate the time to build a team or get a professional in. Mm. Yeah, I think so, 100%. Danny. Like it's, um, like you said, Derek, you sort of, some people sort of go, oh, we'll just do it in-house. It You know, like we kind of said in our last couple of podcasts, guys, like it's, you know, it's just, it can't be that hard. It's a, you know, it's a toy. People look at drones as a toy and, and then they do it, they go through the process or they look at what the cost is going to get, you know, to even start an internal drone operation. They're like, oh, maybe it's not the right choice. Maybe we don't need to learn about how to do a 3D model or inspections. And then, oh, we need to learn about cameras. Okay, who knows about cameras? Who, you know, who's our camera guy? You know, all that sort of stuff. It's, you yeah. get into the drone space and it's almost like opening up a can of worms, depending on which way you're going to go. Um, but I, I, I don't know if we've recorded it, but um, I think it is important to, for some people to have internal drone operations, but I think 90% of it should be outsourced to the right people for your solution. Yeah, there's going to be people that specialise in things. And we even see it from Transpec's point of view. Um, 
we've got we've got multinational clients who've done the same thing in software going oh no we'll we'll put our own software and they've failed spectacularly and they come back and and then there's others that are still have come from the old school mentality i just want one thing that does everything mm. <laughs> so you know i was talking about you know the importance of partnerships and alliances in terms of drone services but it's the same in software like transpec is not trying to be everything in terms of asset management um and when we even get pulled into the whole digital twin mist and haze <laughs> that, yeah for us that's one of our um because we're not you know people associate digital twin now with god knows what like iot sensors digital, mm -hmm. bin modeling's digital twin like there's so much where we are focused on like that reality modeling inspect you know the model down to the millimeter in actual time stamps this is this is no lying this is not designed this is what it is um but you know earlier on people wanted no i want it to do bin modeling i want it to do ai i want it to generate work orders i want it to do this and a lot of organizations now from what we've seen are really going to that open source so everything connects everyone's a partner and every like will fit into our niche we'll talk to another software talk to another software that delivers the outcome mm. it's moving in the same direction with software use the best in breed for for what you need to do yeah um, which makes sense really yeah. Um, yeah. Where where do you see the Australian drone industry in regards to the rest of the world where they're at? Do you, do you think we're we're moving slower, we're a little bit behind, or you, or you think we're actually ahead of the game a little bit? Um, I think we're a little behind in terms of regulation um i think drones themselves and i understand the safety the safety cases around using drones don't get me wrong um and i know there's a wide spectrum of operators to what's the one without the licenses uh sub two kilo sub two kilo yeah i know there's a big range and understanding of risk how do I manage and mitigate against that risk? How do I operate this safely? But I think sometimes it's probably taken a bit too far. Like at the end of the day, you know, something small doing, say a facade inspection, some of the, I guess, risk mitigators when we're talking about a sub one kilo drone doing a facade inspection that might have a piece of masonry or a piece of facade fall off that's 30 40 kilos mm. <laughs> tiny little drone who's you know a lot of them have proven themselves it's not back when we were flying drones where they were at times unpredictable it's <laughs> um, quite reliable now so i think in terms of that aspect i think that can be opened up a lot more and be a lot more practical 
in terms of using drones as a tool, uh, I think we're lucky in Australia. So from what we've seen, especially with our global clients, our multinational clients, trans, uh, from Transpec's perspective, Australia has been the proving ground. So Australia is the world's POC. Um, Why do you think that's the case? Well, I'm trying to still work that out myself. <laughs> I think we had a big, I think we had a big reputation still from last year's um, coronavirus response. Like Australia was always mm. seen. Australia has been, we're all open, we're all at the beach, that type of thing that was always portrayed. So, hang on, where, where, who's at the beach? I'm definitely not at the beach. <laughs> I'm still locked in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's because you're in Melbourne, mate. He's in yeah. Sydney. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Well, he should be worse than us at the moment. <laughs> sorry. Hit a nerve there, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> 70%. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you should come up to Queensland. It's even better up here again. <laughs> of course, Queensland's going to go backwards, and now they're going to be the locked-in state. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm happy to be locked in here, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. But from what we've seen, like, even, even like, globals that come from, you know, you know, we start the conversation at their headquarters in the US, they tend to pick Australia as their pilot. <laughs> um, they prove out everything they want to do and then they roll it out globally. Um, so I think we're in a good position and, you know, everything we've seen, there's definitely the appetite is increasing. We're kind of moving now from that early adopter phase to all the early adopters actually making use of it. So they've gone through pilots, they've gone through validation. They've started their rollouts and now everyone's going, okay, they've done it. It's time for us to do it. Mm. So we're kind of like a guinea pig country for yeah. the rest of the world. If it fails and <clears throat> they don't have to talk about it. And then like leave, the, it yeah. <laughs> yeah, leave it down under. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, too funny. But it's, I guess that's exciting from our perspective is that if we are the guinea pigs, we're going to be trying new and exciting things. Um, I'm sure you you see some unique things or different techniques and or different even types of assets. Like you said, a roller coaster was one of them that's been put into the system. And, you know, to me that I didn't even think, you know, you could probably put a roller coaster in there or um, what sort of information they would get from that. It's um, It's really, it's quite mind boggling to me. Yeah. Um, and that was done like the, the tech coming out as well has probably enabled that. So that was a Skydio drone that captured that, um, mm -hmm. automated. So yep. tech coming out like that. And I know they've got their, um, I guess how far we've come. I know they've got their dock. Coming mm, yeah. Um, so I remember when they, the first dock came in to Australia and that was, it was only a couple of years ago and it was a shipping container. Mm. <laughs> Do you remember that coming in? Yeah. Um, Times have changed a fair bit. It's no expense. Yeah. You need to pour a slab for it. <laughs> yeah. 
like how far have we come in only a couple of years? It's, yeah. It's um so would you say that's your best pilot? Sorry, Danny O's <laughs> <Discardio. laughs> I think you can outfly me any day. Uh, <laughs> if only the batteries could change themselves. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it going somehow. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think Derek from like an automation perspective or I guess when you guys are, or your pilots pilots are out collecting information that that part or that portion for you guys is quite an important process um because I guess from my perspective I kind of look at it as if you put shit in you kind of get shit out um and i don't know i that's that's the way i've seen it i don't know how how it's gone in your workflow whether you've had pilots in the past sort of giving you a data set and you've gone guys we we can't accept this or it's not up to our standards like i don't know do you guys have standards from a transpect perspective um when they're ingesting information yeah so um a lot we have i guess we have a lot of clients a lot of drone service providers they just they put they run their own accounts they sell to their clients um when we're selling to an enterprise and you know we source that out through our partner network um yeah it's very contingent on the acquisition mm. and we're talking about niches 3d modeling itself is probably not a niche but when you're going for 3d models that are a millimeter gsd or sub millimeter gsd that is a niche it's you've got to be very methodical you've got to have the right overlap you've got to have the right perspectives on each component um and almost think as a computer mm. so you know that okay i'll need what would be a good example um take a building facade with eaves on windows you'll know that just looking face on is not going to always give the answer like if it's got eaves one run might be just tilted up 15 degrees the other one might be tilted down um and all the little tips and tricks you know, of like keeping trying to keep horizons out of imagery. Uh, even the most simple ones of like setting a manual white balance um, plays a big part. Like you could spend a day. Well, we got this big. I remember this big concrete tank, and it was auto white balance in every second photo. The yellow. It's all concrete. But one's grey, one's yellow, one's blue. <laughs> oh, no. So it, every photo just kept throwing out these different uh, white balance tinges over it. Um, so just when you're trying to do those really crisp models, this is where niching and becoming really good at something like ultra detailed modelling is a niche. Mm. Like everyone can do that. And you learn all the tips and tricks over the time on what produces a good model and what doesn't. Because that, that like 
um, having the right capture is a reflection also on your on the platform, right? Because yeah. if someone's <laughs> coming new to the platform, kind of thinks, well, that's the platform's fault when it's actually <laughs> the capture. <laughs> yeah. Poor, so, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But so from a do you, photo, sorry, Ty, I was going to ask. No, because obviously yeah. from a, a RGB in in photogrammetry, you got thermal and lidar. Um, how are they going to play a part over the next sort of twelve to eighteen months in our market? Do you think, especially from an asset inspection perspective? Lidar is a funny one. Um, like you're going to outlay a lot of money for a LIDAR system and photogrammetry just keeps making leaps and bounds to where the, you know, the effective point cloud output can be just as accurate as a LIDAR. Um, so I see it's use cases narrowing down to obviously vegetation where it needs to get that canopy penetration uh or very uh, like fine detail like power lines or overhead rail lines anything like that i think lidar will play its place um thermal will be a big one and i think that that comes across not only from an inspection point of view and we're talking like reservoirs dams and things like that where you're getting those temperature changes but in property it's just as big especially around identifying heat and cooling loss um, because most in property especially and everything filters from fund down so most funds now have the biggest importance placed on their esg impact so environment social and governance it's it's what most are putting all their effort into and esg is not just sustainability but you know if we're talking modeling and you can prevent people having to return to site or go to site as often they'll track that saving in terms of carbon um they'll track it for their social aspect in terms of not having someone drive on the road because that can be just as dangerous as anything else hmm. um then you know the thermal modeling and that heat cooling loss will play just as a bigger part because they'll be able to measure that and report direct back to shareholders because what in australia we are probably the biggest owners of australian assets anyway because I, I can't remember what the figures are but majority of it's owned by super funds our super funds um so I think thermal will play a really big part in that ESG impact. Um, the next big one, if anyone wants to help, is we need to get modelling done internally, just as good as we can do externally. So, <laughs> carry you your brain your hand right now. Hey, I think Brendan just raised his hand up. I've got it tied down. I'm, I, we're on podcast, guys. We just got to. <laughs> He's not smiling. That's just a virtual face. Yes, it's a virtual face. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I can help you. It's not my, not my. Can't do it. Got your bag. 
What sort of what sort of internals, Derek? <laughs> Just subtle. Internal sky rises. Challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard it's a hard world internals. <laughs> so for uh, for the people listening, why would internals be so much harder than doing external surfaces? Uh, so modeling, we kind of, and it's not always the case, but the primary way we stitch together a model is the metadata out of, or your GPS metadata. Um, that's why a PPK or RTK system is always better because it will give us cleaner models, outputs. Um, not to say that it has to be used because a lot of the internals are done with visual type points. Um, one of the biggest tips, especially on anything without any detail. And if you think of a big logistics center or warehouse route, mm-hmm. it's corrugated, and you're trying to do a one mil per pixel capture, every photo looks exactly the same. So without yeah. guess that, that there's no modeling that because mm. everything is the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> constant. And then I guess when you're going internals and depending on what type of building you've got, you've got white walls and white walls all look the same. And then you've got to contend with potential mirrors and hallways and things like that. So it's a pretty complicated space um, when we go internals. But when you go warehouse, it's a little bit different. You've got a lot of textures, but then you're also contending with plant room equipment and everything else. So. Yeah, it's uh... even just the empty space side of things, Brendan. I, I don't know from when we've done halls before, uh, you know, entertainment halls, and trying to do an internal tour with those. And I'll, I'll tell you now, 360 cameras don't like really big empty rooms, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to put all these nice ugly QR code tags around the room. <laughs> it completely ruins what you're trying to do to begin with. But yeah, yeah. it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just thinking a few years how, how different this whole structure could be if it's moving yeah. that fast already. You know, we've gone from a shipping container to a shoebox. Oh, yeah. That's right. The, yeah. The tech world changes every day. I mean, we all see it in all of, all of our respective facets of the industry. There is something new coming out every few days, so not necessarily just in the drone world, but in camera world, in computer world, whatever. Um, it's It's constant at the moment where we, we live in a pretty wild time i have a constant joke with my grandma she's 90 it's 96 and i think about the things she's seen in her lifetime i mean it's pretty wild mm. definitely it's yeah constant evolving yeah and you think about like well, i think as well like you said derek when we were sort of talking about lidar and things like that it is like you said it's a really expensive piece of tech to get but on the flip side, you've got a probably $1,500 phone that's got LiDAR on it that is throwing out the same kind of accuracy as some mobile LiDAR units out there. And it's just part of the thing in your pocket. So, you know, it's um, like Ty said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, like Ty said, you know, tech's, tech's going to change rapidly and really quickly. And um, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Derek, I think photogrammetry is best to go down that pass path first before going down a lidar path because 
it's just going to skyrocket your your costs in equipment or whatever it might be. If you can't solve it with photogrammetry, I would exhaust that option every single day before you would go down buying, you know, like some of those units uh, are 75 grand. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't really have 75 grand just lying around just to be able to pick one up off the shelf and, and go scan a room. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. I think we're at a, a tipping point where tech's going to catch up a lot. Um, some of the industries that have relied on that high-end tech are going to try and hang on a little bit, but I think it's just going to it's going to push forward and everyone's going to jump on board. And you know, if you've got an iPad, you can um, you can take lidar scans of a little room. It's it's probably not great, um, but it's that's where it's at now. What's it going to be in five years' time? Maybe two. Oh. I even beg to differ there a little bit, Brendan. A good example, just because I only because, as you guys know, I've I've got a little bit of real estate photography background as well, and obviously amongst that is doing floor plans. Now, when I started doing that five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, we were still using lasers just to measure mm-hmm. right up and you know enjoy your room. Then we went off to using three sixty cameras and Manifold systems and stuff to bring out all our measurements and things like that. Now. Now I literally walk in with this thing and go like this around the walls of the room. And like, I still don't believe it because if you see what it looks like when it has the output on your phone, you're kind of like, oh, is that going to work? Um, but it does and comes back in a perfectly accurate, beautiful little floor plan of, of the house that you're doing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, these things are better than, than I think people give them credit for. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I think, but that's the exciting thing, right? So, like, we, we're going through that phase of, like, I'm sure you did, Derek, you've experienced it from the very start of how expensive a drone would be to build and then maintain and then you crash it and then you have to buy the parts again and fix it and, like, it's all on your kitchen table. And then DJI rocks up and it goes, oh, we've got a Phantom <laughs> in a box. <laughs> and it's <laughs> plug and play and then and then it's just evolved and now you're pulling out things like the little mavic minis that are less than 250 grams and you know they're just zooming around everywhere and they still take a fantastic photo um and they cost like you know 500 bucks or whatever it is it's just it's insane so it's but where, uh, do, where, where do people st- who start now where are their stories going to come from from the days of uh it took two hours to get this thing started because it was four thousand plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my app didn't load and I was standing there. You got yeah. you just got you just don't understand how painful that process was. <laughs> the, the, the doc wasn't charged. Yeah, yeah. There you come. Can we talk about some of the, um, let's call them your frenemies, um, say the drone deploys and the PIX4Ds of the world. Obviously, um, it's great, I think, personally, I think it's great having um, you guys in Australia because obviously I went and worked with those companies initially and it's very hard to get that support in in, in our time zone. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, especially for the Australian market? Um, where do you kind of see Transpec with those sorts of players? Uh, obviously, you're, I'm sure you're very familiar with them. So yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't tend to so much compete against 
PIX-40 and drone deploy. Um, we're not that type of solution. So our type of target clients and our target market is that UHD type of model. They're for inspections down to the millimeter. Um, so we pride ourselves on that output. Um, and we've got the best thing that happens to us is somebody who may not believe what we do. We would send them, sending someone to PIX40 or drone deploy is a win for us because right. once they see it, <clears throat> very quickly come back. <laughs> Mm. Right. Yeah. So I've seen some outputs um, and most will say night and day in terms yeah. of output. But, you know, if if somebody's looking for like a cheaper and and like not, we're not saying what we do is necessary for everything. Like you don't need ultra high detailed modeling to do a lot of things. Um, so yeah, we kind of sit in a different type of market, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, so sort of you're going for that high, uh, high finish, I guess the high accuracy. Yeah. 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 And then I guess that circles back around to what you've sort of said to people starting in the space is sort of pick that niche, um, stick to it and get really good at it. And I agree. I think you guys do a really good job at exactly what you do is the high resolution models um, and inspecting off the models. And I don't think you can compare you guys to a PIX4D or a um, drone deploy. Um, I think drone deploy is great if you're trying to learn about, you know, what photogrammetry is or maybe mapping and sort of just playing around with it and then honing your skills maybe. Um, but then drone deploy offer a lot of things, but they don't, in my mind, they don't narrow down. They don't niche down like you guys have. Um, and I think that's really, really important is that niche perspective. Um, and I, look, for the people that are listening, I don't know if they really understand some of the resolution models that you guys have. They're actually like, they're phenomenal. Like it's literally like you're standing there looking at the mm. exact same thing, but you're on your computer. Um, and it is mind blowing. Like, you know, we, I see 3D models every day. And then you see a really good one you, and you still just sit there and you go, holy shit, like that is exactly like it looks like out in real life. And I'm looking at it on my computer. Um, and I think that's what blows people's minds is like, how is that even possible with understanding how to take photos and then putting in basic terms, putting it in a computer and then I can sit here and look at it. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, really- Brendan's available for any transpec advertising, mind you. <laughs> yeah, look, I've got a, a, a little blank spot here or, or here, yeah. left or right, doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but that, that's right. That There is no comparison. <clears throat> I guess um, the frustration is when people Google and they'll get that those platforms appear <laughs> Yeah. And when you got your own in your own backyard, you got good platforms like yourself. So, um, but they'll go for the, you know, the YouTube thing, which is where it's flooded with, right? So a part of our job is to bring that awareness, right? Uh, look, look in your backyard. There are good products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a lot. 100%. We've got a lot of direct 
a lot of direct comparisons. I remember one one client who only we only first met and we ran one of his data sets through and he showed us where it was shipping containers, which you could tell that it was a container. You know, it had that 3D model look about it. Um, and then he showed us what we delivered it to him. So it went from, I think that's a shipping container to, oh my God, I can actually read barcodes off this. <laughs> that's just that same data output. Yeah. But yeah, we, we even had, actually even overnight, um, clients that were showing it off in, there must be a expo or uh, convention over in Vegas at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, that was showing them stuff that they do <clears throat> around uh, telco towers or cell towers over there um, and just the output of anything close. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, okay. It's, and in terms of, yeah, what Brennan was saying, resolution, like to put, to try and give you a picture, it's about being able to rotate and see the thickness of paint. So you can see flaking paint. That's that's the type of detail like we're probably best known for. Um, and, you know, as I said, not everyone needs that kind of detail, but a lot in enterprise when they actually need to, something to make a decision, it's either going to give them an answer or not. Um, and if it's a smudge, it doesn't necessarily give them an answer. But if it's millimetre detail, they can assess it, make a decision. And then the decision might be actually to go and do a manual inspection there to dig out more. Um, or it might just be, yep, no, move on. Mm. Mm. So do you, do you see when you, when you talk about like the, the resolution and we sort of go down the path of like, we look at a Scardio and then you've also got on the flip side, the M300 with the P1, which is like a 45 megapixel image. Like where do you sit in that space? Like Scardio is obviously offering autonomy, um, but it's not a full, not, a, not even a one inch sensor um, camera, um, but then you compete that to an M300. So where do you sit in that space of comparing photos to autonomy and all that sort of stuff? Um, both drones will give you the same output. So a M300P1, and I'll go even further, the real P1 is for us the phase one. Mm-hmm. Um, and a hundred grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is seriously impressive camera. Um, we've got a few clients around the world that use the phase one and it's unbelievable. Mm. Seriously unbelievable. But saying that, the Skydio can deliver the same result. Um, we're just talking in terms of scale, like Skydio, it's probably good for smaller type of assets. Telco Towers, I think, is really good for a Skydio. Um, but anything big, like I think we did analysis when we first started working with phase one and the flight time between that and a Mavic was like 
a 13 minute flight for a phase one to mm. get to achieve a resolution and an hour and 20 minutes or something with a Mavic. Hmm. So it can be a massive difference in, but the common misconception, you know, for an asset, it'll still be the same amount of gigapixels, hmm. regardless of what drone you use. Just means you've got two, one photo uh, of a hundred megapixels versus you need five photos in the Mavic to get the same amount of yeah. data. Hmm. But they'll still end up being, 100 megapixels <laughs> yeah so that's really a good point the efficiency yeah and then why not it doesn't have to be either or um if it's a big piece of infrastructure do it efficiently do it with a m300 and a p1 or phase one or sony a7 um and this is my theory of where the future is, would be then throw out the Skydio and, and get all the intricate bits, like really target. And if we're talking, take a LNG tank, for instance, get the tank with a phase one, get the pipe rack or the stair, the, you know, the, the metal staircase up the side, just get the Skydio to go and fly around that bit. Mix, mix them. Mm. That's a good idea. You're going to get much more intricate uh, models, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you don't want to put something like big, like a M300 close. Just let the Skydio. Uh, mm. Not unless you want to throw 35 grand. No. <laughs> Feel the pilots cringing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cringing and I don't even own an M300. <laughs> <laughs> Well, while we're coming towards the end of things, guys, do you have anything else you want to shoot at Derek before we move on to our last little little section? No, I think that is a no. I think it's a good chat so far. So you can you can ask Danny any questions, Derek. Oh, that's a good one. Do it. Yeah, got any questions for Danny, Derek? Remember, I'm editing all this. <laughs> um, no, all right. Well, I think, I, as we sort of come to an end, or we, we, I, I, we I think he does a have a question. Yeah, oh, you do actually have a question? Oh no, I was just going to give a shout out to to you guys for shutting down Brisbane CBD. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, <laughs> do we need to explain why he's shut it down, or is it just now he's done something no, and shut no. it down? <laughs> Just, it's not just tied to a hell. He's in the middle of the CBD again in his car. <laughs> Let, let's keep the location off. <laughs> maybe okay. maybe we can have a, a post-job conversation. Yes. Watch this space. Watch this space. Keep it on 60 All right, minutes. Well, we... <laughs> no, we don't want to see it on 60 minutes, Danny. <laughs> 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 if, if my face is on 60 minutes i'm i'm, I'm worried um <laughs> all right well we just had something a little bit of fun that we threw it through together for, for the end um derek we, we're calling it our six and 60. they're just six off the cuff questions they're more or less one one or two word answers um and just have a bit of fun with it all, all so right. so i'm going to put on the timer and we've got the timer and ready in three two one what's your favorite drone 
Start the timer again. Thirteen seconds on the first one. All right, start again. Um, favorite drink. At the moment, Scotty. All right, cool. What's your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite ice cream? Strawberry. Oh no, mint. What's your favorite? Mint. What's your What's your favorite car? Uh, Aston, Aston Martin. Cool. Star Wars or Star Trek? I haven't seen either. Cool. Oh. Uh, end the episode right now. <laughs> 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 what, and who's your favorite host? The last one. You got 10 seconds, quick. Oh. <laughs> you didn't even start this timer. The one on the far left. <laughs> it's you. left on this one. That's good. That's that's a good one because oh, everyone's got a different screen. He beat us at our own game. <laughs> Derek knows how sensitive Danny is. He would have said Danny. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a millennial. What do you expect? Yeah, that you had five seconds feeling, to spare. So. Very well done. Uh, Jeez, that yeah, very funny. well done. Well, awesome. well, cheers for coming on board, Derek. We really appreciate it and taking the time and, and sharing a little, little about a little bit about what you do and how you got there and, and for the listeners as well. I mean, it's it's great to have other people in the industry, not just us, obviously, um, sharing some of their experiences. So we, we really appreciate it. Okay. Anytime. It's a pleasure. Um yeah, I'm a big believer in, yeah, we all do this together. Um, it's nothing that you have to do alone. So, yeah, happy. Mm-hmm. Hey, Derek, awesome. just before we finish off, um, if people wanted to reach out to you or sort of get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, it's just Derek at trendspec.com if you want to get in touch with me directly. Uh, otherwise, on our website, you can get through there or come through team at trendspec.com perfect and i think um you've got a trial as well right on that you can get online if anyone wants to try that so there's a demo link on our website just fill it out and yeah we'll um we'll set you up so you can have a have a play yourself sounds good yeah there guys go go out and have a go and go check out this this incredible software that they've created on that niche Find that niche. Find that niche. That's exactly right. Find that niche. All right, guys. Well, well, well thanks again for sitting down, Derek, and having a chat. And um, we'll see the rest of you sexy guys soon. <laughs> Thank you, guys. See you, guys. Right. See you later.